Welcome back, oddballs. Welcome back, oddballs. I was trying to remember. I was like, I know we came up with a name, like a cute little name for people who listen to our podcast, but I couldn't remember what it was. I love oddballs. I think that's a good name. Welcome back to, <laughs> to our, our Odd Pod, Pod podcast. podcast. A podcast dedicated to the odd, the macabre, and everything else in between. And everything in between. It's me, Billy. And as always, it's Felicia. And it's Felicia. She's here too. Hey, Felicia. Hey. I bet you're not used to people saying, hey, Felicia. No. They always tell me goodbye. Bastards. It's the price I pay of working with the general public. Well, that's it. <laughs> How do we start a podcast episode? It's been so long for me. If you'll remember, you did the last two. I did do the last two. Um, It's been a while. Yeah. So I don't even know what to do. What do I do? I just sit here? Yeah, you just sit here. Cool. Comment, maybe ask some questions. We'll see. Um, I know you know what I'm talking about today. It's all I've been talking about for two I, weeks now. Yeah, you've been talking about it quite a bit. Do you know what you're talking about? Uh, I put in a lot. What the fuck was that? That was my cup. Oh, it's like it sounded like the lock turning. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> buckle up, buckle up. I did a lot of research, and you're gonna listen to all of it. Yeah, well, I thought you meant buckle up because somebody's coming in the apartment, and you're about to hear us fight them. <laughs> I've already got shoes on. Um, yeah. So I did a lot of research. Okay. Um, I still don't know how to pronounce anyone's name, but being from the South, I think I'll do okay this episode, but yeah, if I don't, also being from the South, feel free to email me about it. So it's an excuse because we can't talk. So, well, speaking is not my first language anyway, so <laughs> fair. Okay. <laughs> um, speaking is not my first language. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> So, maybe from the title of this episode, you might know that we're going to be talking about Marie Delphine LaLaurie. LaLaurie. Uh, I'm pretty sure I pronounced that correctly. I mean, like, you pronounce it as correctly as anyone who doesn't speak French says French words or names, you know? Yeah. It's a weird language. Anyway. It is, though. Yeah, it is. Lots of, well, I mean. To be fair, English like, is equally as weird. Hey, we're going to give you like an 18-letter word. You're going to pronounce like the first four letters. You're going to pronounce four letters in there, but neither one of them are attached. And if you don't say it with the right amount of attitude, it's going to be incorrect. <laughs> but we're going to be talking about New Orleans Ooh. in the 1800s-ish. New Orleans in the 1800s. Um, but before we get too far into it, I just want to point out that since we are going to be talking about my beloved city of New Orleans, because yes. yes, it is my one of my favorite cities mm. and Billy's least favorite city. I, I didn't say it was my least favorite city. Well, you're not a fan of New Orleans and I get that. I like the idea of New Orleans. You had fun the last time we went. I have fun every time we go. Just like it's something in the execution. Um, but we are talking about like a historical figure, I guess you can call her, mm -hmm. um, that I would consider to be somewhat famous, at least. She made an appearance in American Horror Story. Ooh. Yeah, so uh, I would consider it to be like, you know, like the dark tourist thing. Dark tourist. Good. Like the dark passenger from Dexter? No, like dark tourist. No, I know. I'm okay. just joking. Just making sure. 
But this isn't like the Loza Bontempa rule. Wow. Butchered? Yeah. Go ahead and say it. Laissez les bon temps rouler. Anyway. Um, or rather, let the good times roll. New Orleans that some people are uh, used to. It's not beignets in the French Quarter with like live music being played Ooh, everywhere. And chicory in our coffee. And chicory coffee. Delicious. We love chicory. Chicory dickory dock, am I right? I'm leaving. Goodbye. <laughs> um, it's not showing your tits for beads while grown men act an ass on Bourbon Street. It's not uh, Westboro Baptist Church um, protesting Mardi Gras. Yes. Um, and while I 100% love all of that, like I do, I Maybe love not all the of last it. one. No, I love all of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, New Orleans history is somewhat uncomfortable. And I feel like uh, being from the South, it would be unfair to ignore that part of the story. Um, And for the sake of being, like to ignore it for the sake of being comfortable. Um, So some of it might get a little bit uncomfortable, but I promise we're gonna get to make fun of Nicolas Cage later. Oh, nice. Well, also, I don't feel like we're the show that's gonna gloss over something that's uncomfortable. Like if something we talk about makes you uncomfortable, especially since I know what you're referring to, I feel like you need to like check yourself and see why it's uncomfortable, you know? Cause like well, yeah, American so history's fucked up. It is, it's messed up. But so, but just that part of my episode is gonna be purely for like educational facts because it did not feel right talking about Madame LaLaurie, LaLaurie. Um, Sounds good. Without talking about New Orleans history and the things that were going on during that time. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to give like a fun, like haunted house story. Yeah. But what I like started researching everything, it turned into like a whole thing. It's like a whole which thing. Which is why it took me so long to actually produce an episode. Like 14 pages of history. Yeah. I read okay. a book. <laughs> wow. I've, I've watched videos. I've like, you know, like I've done it all. Like I, I was really invested and I feel like I can almost answer like most of the questions that you might have okay. for me. Challenge accepted. <laughs> I'm going to think of a question you definitely don't have the answer I won't to. Know, I probably won't know any of the ones that you'll ask me, but like for a series of other questions that I would predict that you'd uh, ask me, I know. Because I'm so unpredictable. Yeah. What? Okay. First question, who played this lady in American Horror Story? Uh, no, I know her name. Do you? I do. But do you? Oh, my God. Now I'm stressed out. We can't do this. Oh, okay. Well, bye, everybody. Who is it? <laughs> is it in your notes? No. Oh. No, okay. it is somewhere. Well, if it is, I'll just wait, and then you can come to that part in your notes, and you can go, oh, my God. that Kathy yeah, Bates. I, Boom, you nailed it. Oh, it just took me a second to get there. It's like, I knew who she was. I knew you knew. <laughs> Kathy Bates. <laughs> oh, I'm stressed out already. <laughs> Why? It's who I am as a person. I won't ask any questions. Oh, uh, okay. Anyway. So, anyway. anyway. Here we go. Let's get into it. The LaLaurie Mansion is located at 1140 Royal Street, New Orleans, Louisiana. If you've been anywhere down in the French Quarter of New Orleans, you may have passed it. Oh. And we have. 
We passed it? We passed it. Did you point it out at the time? I did. Oh. Um, but it's a pretty unassuming building. The entrance to it, um, the entrance to the building bears iron grillwork. The door is carved with an image of Apollo and his chariot with wreaths of flowers and depending like cascading garland. Okay. Side note, um, Apollo is the patron deity of Delphi. Delphi? Delphine? Delphi, is that like a Greek island? Yeah. Okay. I think so. I, I don't know what that is. But I'm assuming if Apollo is their god, then yes, they're at least some kind of Greek. Anyway, um, if you were to walk inside today, you would see a the black and white marbled floor, the mahogany railed staircase that runs the full three stories of the building. The second floor holds three large drawing rooms connected by ornamented sliding doors. Mm-hmm. The walls are decorated with plaster rosettes and carved woodwork and black uh, black marble mantelpieces. Damn, sounds fancy as fuck. It is fancy as fuck. Oh, but it wasn't always like that. Didn't always look like that. That yeah. Okay. But we'll get to it. All right. Just for funsies, because it is a real place that you can go and visit, but you can't go inside. Um, it has a 4.6 Google rating. So, wait, just the outside of the building has a 4.6 Google rating? Yeah. Okay. But it's a pretty unassuming like, building, because like, you walk past it, it's just like a... So, like, 4.6 of peop- people who walk past it are like, no, it's a nice building, and then 0. 0.4 like, fuck that building. If I could go inside, I wouldn't want to. Well, it only has one one-star review. Okay. That makes sense. Would you like to know what it says? What's it say? You know that place is haunted like for real. (laughs) And that's for real with two L's. Obviously, for real. For real. For real. It might have been too many L's, but you know. (laughs) For real. With 14 L's. For real. (laughs) That's how you know it's real fucking haunted. More L's equals more haunted is actually something I know as a researcher of the paranormal with 14 l's paranormal (laughs) okay Okay, sorry (laughs) enough about the building for now we're gonna get back to it okay because it really is kind of like a beautiful building and you can look up pictures on google the inside of it right now is gorgeous so no one can go inside like you can't even do a tour or anything no it's privately owned oh privately owned by one sir nicholas of cage Nope, not anymore. I'm just kidding. Oh, wait, he actually owned it? He did. Holy fuck. We will get to it. I was just making a dumb joke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay then. (laughs) Well, a little bit about Marie Delphine. La Laurie. La Laurie. Anyway, Marie Delphine McCarty was born in New Orleans in a Spanish Louisiana Mm -hmm. on March 19th, 1787. Okay. She was one of five children. Her father was Louise Bartholomew de McCarty. And it was his father, Marie Delphine's grandfather, that brought the family over to New Orleans from Ireland in the 1730s. This dude has the least Irish name I've ever heard in my life. Is McCarty not Irish? Yeah, McCarty, but his name is Louis Bartholomew de McCarty. I don't know what you want me to say. I don't know. Like, how Irish was this guy? Was his mom Spanish or something? Um, I don't know if I, I don't. Maybe I maybe I, I have a just a profound misunderstanding of like Gaelic or Celtic or whatever is 
whichever is I the didn't Irish think one. That I needed to do like a whole bunch of like research on the father because he really doesn't stick around all that long. No, you don't. It's just his name's gonna bug me because he's Irish and his name is painfully like some romantic language, right? Maybe his grandma was French. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but they came over during the French colonial period. Okay. Her mother's name was Marie-Jean L'Arbre. Le- okay. Um, and the family in general was prominent in the European Creole community as like a whole. Like the whole family was. Okay. Um, Marie Delphine's uncle by marriage, um, his name was Esteban Rodriguez. Yes. Mario. Mero. Well, how's it spelled? M I R Chica O. M I R. With a little Chica on the side. Oh. Oh, yeah. I don't know what. Regardless, he was the governor Chica. of the Spanish America provinces of what? M I R Chica O. <laughs> Esteban Rodriguez was governor of Spanish American provinces. Um, of Louisiana and Florida during the late 1700s, and her cousin, Augustin de McCarty, would end up being the mayor of New Orleans in seven, or 1815 to 1820. Damn, son. So her family's like fucking prominent. Yes, yeah, so like they're getting around. In so the was he the governor of Louisiana and Florida at the same time? The pro- I think so. Or the whatever he whatever, was. Whatever like the, the Spanish American provinces okay, that, that were makes in sense. Louisiana and in Florida. Makes sense. Makes you know, sense. Probably like connected. It was by like the colonial state. times. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's like all connected, you know. Yeah. No borders, man. No borders, man. It's all connected. <laughs> all right. So, during the 1700s, New Orleans or La Nouvelle Orleans, if you fancy, yeah, was basically just a bunch of wooden shacks um, surrounded by a swamp. Oh. With less than 5,000 people living here, um, with over half of them being enslaved Africans. Oof. Yeah, so like literally over half, half of the population was slave. Damn, son. So in 1769, Louisiana went from being under French control to Spanish c- control. Mm-hmm. And a lot of citizens were like, not about that shit. <laughs> Why did I say it like that? But anyway, they were not fans of it. Well, they were not about no, that shit. Not about that shit. But or this, la shit. Or la shit. They were not about la caca. La caca, if you will. If you will. Um, but this really didn't bother the McCarty family too much because they were like prominent. Um, they yeah, they were prominent and really didn't bother them all that much. And his uncle, her uncle, was like, "I'm actually already like the leader of like Florida, so like I'm good, so right? I'm good." So like in the late 1700s, roughly around 1790-ish, um, slaveholders in the Southern United States and the Caribbean were very afraid of like resistance and rebellion among slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and for good reason. Well, uh, I don't remember what year it was, but it was around this time that Haiti had a successful slave rebellion. We're about to talk about that. Oh, cool. Okay. Literally, like within the next sentence. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, Marie Delphine was only four when the Haitian Revolution erupted in 1791, and Delphine's uncle had even been murdered by his own slaves in 1771. Yeah, the Haitians fucked the French up. Yeah. The revolution had inspired the local Mina conspiracy in 1791, as well as the Point Coupe conspiracy in 1794. Point Coupe. Coupe, yes. Okay, sorry. And the German coast uprising in 1811. Interesting. I didn't know what conspiracy meant in that 
last sentence that I wrote. So just to let people know, if you're not well-educated like me, uh, that's just slave rebellions. That's what the that's the conspiracy they were talking about. Yeah, it's it's all slave rebellion. Okay. So well, because like I didn't know that. So now I'm letting all you people know. Well, the thing was, if I'm not mistaken, the French or the Haitian slaves, because you know Haiti was a French colony. That's yeah. why French is spoken in Haiti. Mm -hmm. Makes sense, right? Story checks out. They rebelled successfully, and they were like, "Hey, France, we just want to be French citizens," and France was like hey no that's not a thing that's going to happen so they sent troops i'm They're pretty like, sure this was napoleon's no. time too we're about to talk about napoleon um he sent french troops to haiti but like these people that they were going to fight were like hard men you know what i mean like yeah they lived a life of like hard labor they marched like 20 30 miles a day on, they like, lived in haiti they, the place that gets like ravaged by hurricanes year after year yeah they were they were hard a dudes thing or two. and if i'm not mistaken they marched like 20 something miles a day on like a shot of rum and like a biscuit hey. and they fucking let's just say the french reclamate reclamation <laughs> of haiti failed <laughs> so anyway sorry if i was yelling no i'm here for the history lesson because that's pretty much what my whole episode is gonna be like a huge history lesson okay cool this caused a lot of slaveholders to discipline their slaves even more harshly out of fear of insurrection. Right, because I mean, like, people who aren't going to rebel are definitely going to not rebel if you just punish them harder. That's, right. That's helping. I think it's more like if I just beat them like until they're weak enough, oh, they right. don't have, they won't have the, the will to, you know, fight back. And, like, I just wanted to point out that I don't agree. Yeah, that's <laughs> fucked up. With any of this. It's just like, this is what was happening during the time. Right. Um, so it's no surprise that Marie Delphine would grow up hearing about this news as the slave revolt. But like what was really happening was like the French Republic had eventually abolished slavery in 1794. But thanks to Napoleon Bonaparte, he was trying to get it reinstated because I don't know reasons. Because he's like a little crazy emperor man. Look, okay. So like did Napoleon Bonaparte, little man syndrome. Yeah. He's 5'7". Yeah. yeah, he wasn't, which I feel like was a pretty either an average height for the time or actually kind of tall. Right. Because not only, um, if I'm not mistaken, like some parts of Europe anyway, the people tend to be like a little shorter. And you know, in the past, apparently humans were quite smaller like as a species. Well, yeah, if you remember when we toured um, the Myrtle Plantation mm -hmm. and she was showing us the desk, she was like, oh yeah, people were smaller oh, back then. Oh, right. Like the lady had like a fucking It was like a child-sized desk. desk. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so all that was going on apparently. So while all this was happening, there was a code put into place by the French colonies called the Code Noir, mm -hmm. which literally translates to like black code. And that was passed by King Louis Fourteenth. And the parts of that that matter to us, I will include below or following. Um, just because we're talking about French people, right? Yes. I feel obligated to say... It's King Louis. Oh, my bad. Well, if he's listening, sorry. Sorry, your highness. All right, mm -hmm. King Louis. Sorry. Um, so the part of this code that matters to us specifically okay. is slaves must be baptized in the Roman Catholic religion. That part yeah. really doesn't matter, but I liked it. Well, as a denizen of New Orleans, it is still very Catholic well, here. It, it makes sense because, you know, 
Cathedral or St. Louis Cathedral. Yeah. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. You see like a little realization. I did. <laughs> um, if a free man fathered a child with a slave woman he wasn't married to, he was expected to marry the woman, thus freeing her and her offspring from slavery. Um, and if he was married, he would be fined. Interesting. And that was part of the code noir. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, huh. Go ahead. Um, if the man in question was the slave master and he was married, he would still be fined, but the slave and any resulting children of the union would be removed from his ownership, but not freed. Okay. So they would take the baby. They would take... But not free him or them. Right. They would be removed from his care. Okay. Basically is what that meant. Okay. But they were not freed. And this was leading up to France freeing, freeing the slaves, or this was post-French freeing the slaves, but it was in the colonies? Post, I think. Okay. Fairly certain it's post, because this was like a whole thing okay. throughout the early 1800s. Okay. The code also dictated that slaves were not allowed to carry weapons except with their master's permission. Mm -hmm. um, the master would be expected to feed and clothe their slaves properly, even if they were sick or elderly. If a master ever falsely accu accused a slave who was then put to death, he would be fined. And then if masters who killed their slaves could be punished. Could, but not would be. Right. Could be, not would be. Could be, but probably weren't. But, you know. So, like... It seems like the French were a little more, I don't want to say progressive with how they handled their slaves, but like they had like some semblance of rights at this time is what yeah. I'm hearing as far as like what their masters could and could not do. Right. So this code. So still really fucked up. Yeah. it It's all very much messed up, but this code gave enslaved people more autonomy than they had before which goes to say that they didn't have much right okay um with this code in like place they were allowed to like make their own money by like hiring themselves out or selling things that they made oh um, interesting you weren't allowed to break up families that were enslaved and section 33 stated that if any slave that was lawfully employed was belated by a person without cause or lawful authority, the person doing so shall pay a fine for every offense of $10. So, huh. like, if someone was just, uh, you made somebody late for work just because you're being an asshole, you were going to get fined. Interesting. Okay. If a slave was beaten or mutilated or rendered incapable of working by someone, the offender shall pay the master $2 a day plus a fine. And if the slave is rendered unable to work, the offender must pay the master the appraised value of the slave. And if the offender is unable to pay the fine, he shall be in prison for not less than one year. Okay. So you aren't able to beat somebody. For no reason. For no reason, basically. Okay. So I think like these codes and like rules were put into place to discourage you from. Right. Like basically just seeing someone walking to work and you're like hey i don't like this guy because you know um i'm racist piece of shit so i'm just gonna beat the fuck out of him for no reason basically but at the same time like if that happened then you had to be the slave who went to the authorities and tried to accuse someone of doing something and yeah. i feel like it probably didn't go very far i think they were like meant with good intentions but because 
there's a lot of gray area with the wording. Like Right. Okay. And this came from King Louis. Right. Okay. The Code Noir at least that was instated by King Louis. Okay. Um so like you have to pay a fine if you beat your slave. But paying a fine isn't like that much of a punishment, especially when it comes, you know, to, like murder. Right. Yeah. It did say basically like if you maim someone or make them incapable or to kill pay, them, like, then you have to pay the human being who owns them some money. Right. Or go to debtor's prison for or a year. Go, yeah, for, for less for, than... For up to a year. Up to a year. Yeah. Okay. Which is all kind of fucked up when you think about like the rest of the stuff we're about to talk about. Well, it's crazy too because like if you think about that time period, yeah. right? You're like, oh, okay. That's sort of like, a, it feels like a step in the right direction for that time period. But at the same time, it's still really fucked up and probably wasn't enforced very well. Right. I and feel like a lot of like, it was probably swept underneath the rug that we'll touch on later. Yeah. And also, we still deal with like institutional racism in our country. So like, it wasn't that much of a step in the right direction. Yeah. So, you know. Anyway. Back to Marie Delphine. McCarty still at this point. So for Marie Delphine, there's not a whole lot of uh, information on her childhood. As far as like schooling goes, but since her family was very much well off, we can assume that she had some kind of schooling, house training. I don't know, like yeah. woman training. I don't know what did they call <laughs> it back training. then? Crate training. Crate training. <laughs> um, I assume she learned how to like take care of a household or something, but um, she at least learned how to go on the newspaper. Yeah, right. <laughs> <clears throat> so, but luckily for us, it was during this time in history that girls at the age of twelve were considered, you know old enough to be married yeah there's a word for that nubile <gasps> yeah Isn't that gr- I, don't, I don't like just it doesn't hit right does <laughs> it does, it? it's not great <laughs> so um on june 11th 1800 at the age of 14 delphine was married to a don raymond de Le- lopez e anguillo it's okay. a long name i did my best at the saint louis cathedral in new orleans We've walked by it. Oh, have we? It's the big church with the um, the statue of Jesus. Oh, out front. with like the two streets that kind of go around yep. it. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, you bet. It's right next to Cafe Dumont. Cafe Dumont. It's actually where the people were protesting the other yes. day across the street. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I know that place. We've been there. Wow. Um, there's a couple of priests buried there that I want to go see. Yeah. I don't think you can see them, but you probably can not. See their we could dig two. them up. Yeah. Just kidding. Casual. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Don Raymond was um, a high-ranking Spanish royal officer, and he has his own story as to why he ended up marrying a fourteen-year-old. Don Raymond. Raymond. Um, I'm pretty sure he was like thirty when he got married probably. to Delphine, and it was this whole thing because he ended up um, marrying. Marie Delphine without permission from whoever he reported to. Okay. Because he had to get permission or something. Okay. And Makes sense, I guess. he was like, yeah, they're going to say yes. And then they ended up not saying yes. But then he had already married. Too late. Sorry. <laughs> he had already married her. It's like, a, um, it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. Yeah. So, Raymond had been uh, appointed to the position of council general for Spain in the territory of Orleans. And he was called to appear in the court of Spain nearly five years later after getting married. So Marie Delphine and um, 
Don Ramon, made their way to Madrid. And Marie Delphine was pregnant at the time with her first daughter. But unfortunately for Marie, Don would die in Havana under like somewhat mysterious circumstances. Okay. She killed him. She did not kill him. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so wait, they went to Spain and he died in Havana? They were on their way to Spain. Okay. And I guess from New Orleans, you would stop in Cuba. Makes sense. To Havana. Yeah, sure. And then you would... Boats, am I right? Those things. How do they work? How do those work? My woman brain can't understand. So she, Don Raymond ended up dying in Havana. Delphine would give birth a few days later to her first daughter named Marie Borja. B-O-R-J-A. B-O-R-J-A. Borja? Okay, Borgia, I think, probably. Um, her nickname was Borkita. Borkita? Borkita. Because she had a little bork. <laughs> um, and then she ended up, she buried her husband in Havana. Herself. Bab- she dug the hole herself. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, she baptized their new daughter, and the widow Delphine and their child would return to New Orleans. And now she's the widow Delphine. The widow Delphine. Um, bum, bum, so, <laughs> between them heading to spain and her returning Mm -hmm. to louisiana louisiana is now a part of the united states of america because of the louisiana purchase because of the louisiana purchase yes because you know what that was a lot of fucking land that they purchased it was yeah but so now we're in louisiana america now we're in louisiana america america louisiana and it's funny because Right after that is when Bourbon Street was invented. Because to celebrate, Americans wanted a place to get drunk. Yeah. And that's the why. governor of New Orleans, Come on, keep bon, Bonnie Bouja Bourbon, <laughs> he was like, oh, you can drink on my street. You can stop anytime. Okay. <laughs> and he threw beads at people. Oh, yeah. Traditions. That's how Mardi Gras was invented. <laughs> Um, so it wasn't long after that that Marie Delphine would marry again. Maria was 20 now, and her oh. new husband was 43. Wow. She's full grown. Yeah. So in June of 1808, Delphine married a Jean Blanc. Jean Blanc. Um, he was a banker, merchant, lawyer, slave trader, legislator, and pirate friend. Pirate friend? Yeah. So he's a friend to pirates? Yes, I put a little smiley face next to that. I like that, that his name was basically just John White. Yeah. Hello, it's me, John White. I am your husband now. And pirate friend. I'm a friend to the pirates. So They bring me spices. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. John Blanc was also a widower and Marie Delphine's second wife. Um, he, uh, he was Marie Delphine's what now? Marie Delphine was his second wife. Okay, okay. Words are hard. I thought you said he was Marie Delphine's second wife. Well, like, I did. I plot was twist. <laughs> <laughs> he was a Frenchman who settled into New Orleans after the Louisiana Purchase had been made. And when he married Delphine, he acquired a large dowry of $33,000, which came from Delphine's mother's estate when she had passed away five weeks earlier. Mm. of um seemingly natural causes all these people dying of seemingly natural causes they never said it was natural causes in anything that i read wrote like read or like john blanc killed her <laughs> so um this couple marie delphine and jean blanc are like 
hella rich. Yeah, okay. They're like hella big rich. Big rich. Big time rich. Big rich. Big and rich. <laughs> they had inherited money from Delphine's mother on her passing. They inherited her mother's indigo plantation. Indigo plantation? An indigo plantation. Okay. 52 slaves, livestock, and farming equipment. Her dad then gifted them another plantation. Okay. Along with all the furnishings for that, as well as 26 more slaves. Wow. Damn. So, like, I don't know why you need two plantations. Are they both indigo plantations? I'm not sure what the other one was. Listen, double the plantations, double the indigo. <laughs> then it's Indiegogo. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so all together, um, they're worth like $2 million. Wow. Which is like considerably rare during that time. They're worth $2 million of that time's money? Yes. Holy fucking shitballs. Excuse my profanity. I'm going to see how much that would be now. You I'm pretty on. sure it's that money, like then times. Yeah, it sounds right because, I mean, $2 million... Now is a lot, but like it's not like. A, well, it would be a lot for that time. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it is like today's time. Anyway, so they had two homes that they didn't even like live in full time. They would um, they would purchase a townhouse in New Orleans near the bank that he worked at, and they had four children together: three daughters and a son. Okay. John Blanc would die at the age of fifty, leaving twenty-eight-year-old Delphine a widow for the second time. And that's kind of sad because her oldest daughter from her first marriage was only 11 and her youngest was six months old. So at the time of John's death, he was in some hella debt. He was, wait, what? Yeah. When her, hus this husband died. When they got married, they were worth two million. And when her husband died, he was in. He was in debt. He was in debt. And did he die of seemingly natural causes? I missed that part. I'm sorry. I was Googling. I, don't, I, don't, I was doing the inflation on $2 million in, in, well, this is in 1700. What year was it? 1808. 1808. $2 million in 1808 is worth $41 million, or about $42 million today. I feel like it was $2 million our money, but like whatever. Okay. Anyway. It's still nothing to shake your finger no, at. No, not at all. Okay. So, um, so John was in hella debt. To the tune of like $2.5 million. That's 0.5 more than they had. Wow. Wow. Quick math. That's debt. <laughs> um, so the cool thing about Louisiana at the time was that widows were not essentially allowed to be responsible for their husband's debt. Okay. So when he died, it was like. Pretty much. Sorry for your loss. It was highly possible that she didn't even know that he was in debt um, and didn't have any control over the debt yeah. because he had so many like professions. She was just like sitting around drinking roast here, whatever the fuck debutantes did. Yeah, just, oh, I don't know what's happening. Fanning I'm herself. just a woman. It's so hot in New Orleans. Mm. <laughs> um, so it was not expected for her to be responsible for the debt. However, Delphine was responsible for selling off his stuff in order to attempt to pay it back. Okay. Um, this included the house that she was living in. Mm -hmm. And in order for her to keep the house she had to buy it when it went off for auction it was so like she her own sold money. it and then she sold it she auctioned off it off and then bought it back with her own money yeah okay so that was kind of cool i guess yeah 
Um, it was so. And is this the house? This is not the house. Okay. But it's coming. So um, it was during the period between her second husband and her third husband that eight of Delphine's slaves would die. Okay. Um, four of these deaths. Under mysterious circumstances. Well, we're going to touch on it in a second. Okay. So four of these deaths took place during the summer and four of the other ones during the winter. They're either of childbearing age or um, children themselves. Uh-huh. The reasons for the death are unclear mm-hmm. um, on their like death certificates or... um. I don't know what they gave out. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was death certificates. Some equivalents. It states that they died of like seemingly natural causes. Yeah. Not seemingly, but it just says natural causes. It doesn't say what. It's seemingly on the death certificate. Seemingly natural. <laughs> it's in italics. <laughs> seemingly. I guess it's natural. I guess it's natural. Um, but like it's unclear. Um, but I'd like to point out that if you've experienced New Orleans in the middle of summer, it is fucking hot. Is it? Sweltering. Yeah, it's pretty hot. Um and what you may or may not know about infectious diseases, um, such as tuberculosis, cholera, yellow fever, fever and plague, um, these diseases spread with lack of hygiene. Yes. And given the large groups of people that tended to live together on it, these plantations. Sweating on each other. Yeah. Just yeah. Uh, sickness is bound to spread like fire that would practically wipe out New Orleans years later. Right, it probably didn't help that they're like shitting in a bucket and throwing it outside. Yeah, so you know, casual. Not saying that Delphine murdered these people. I'm just saying like they did not get murdered. They can they didn't not get murdered. Um But it's also likely that maybe it was just like sickness. Right. Well, at the same time, the conditions they lived in were also sort of her fault. So That's true. You know, she either murdered them or she Murders she either murdered them or she manslaughtered them. Somewhere in there. Yeah. So it would be nearly uh, 10 years later before Marie Delphine would meet a man. Okay. That she deemed worthy of becoming her husband. So now she's what, 32? She's coming up 40. Oh, damn. She's like 38 now. Okay. She's coming, getting yeah. old. So she's like, this is like 10 years later after her husband died. They were okay. together for like six or eight. They were together for eight years. Oh, they were together eight years. Yes. Wow. Fairly okay. certain. All right. Not good at quick math on the spot. I'm sorry. And this is when she marries. Uh, Le- Leonard, Louise, Nicholas, LaLaurie, LaLaurie. Leonard, Louis, Nicholas, LaLaurie. I want to say LaLaurie, but then I heard somebody say LaLaurie for an hour and a half straight. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're not going to do that. So. LaLaurie. Lowry. He was studying to become a doctor. Um, at the time that he had met Delphine, he hadn't quite reached physician status yet. But, I mean, I don't know what you had to do be- to become a doctor in 1820 because I was just so certain that you could just call yourself a doctor. I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I guess there were schools, but... Yeah, th- he went to two schools to become just, a doctor. You watch an old man cut up a corpse and then kill some patients and it's like, like okay i'm a doctor i'm a doctor now so um in march of 1825 louise was like came to new orleans to try out this like special technique to remove humps from backs okay um referring to people who had suffered some kind of illness that led them to be called hunchbacks okay basically whatever the hunchback of notre dame was like suffering from is what he came over here to like 
fixed. So it could have been like a few things, right? Yeah. Like, An article that I, I couldn't say the name of it, so I just completely omitted it out. I was like, I'm not even going to try. Okay. It was some disease that caused you to get hunchback. Anyway. Interesting. Okay. So Delphine met Louise when she had brought her own daughter to Louise to be treated by him because apparently she had a humpback. Um, so this union was weird for Louise, Louise family mm. um, because Delphine at the time was going on 40, had five children, I'm was already a widow. Going on 40. <laughs> yeah. um, she'd already been a widow twice and Louise at the time was only 25. Okay. Oh, shit. Yeah. He, Reverse. He, he was a lot younger. Now he was the nubile one. Oh, I still don't like it. Hello, young doctor. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> um, so whether or not Louise was looking for a sugar mama is not up for debate. Because he found one. <laughs> um, Louise wrote to his brother, who was also a doctor, saying that the medical profession could be a way to make a fortune 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 which he could like ally himself with a powerful and rich family and make a marriage that would shelter him from the uncertainties of uh fate oh smart he's playing it smart yeah he wrote his brother a letter he's like brother fellow doctor i have an affliction i have a i'm obsessed with cougars Um, In his letter to his brother, he also talks about the great rewards and how important it could be to Louis' career if he was able to straighten out the back of Delphine's daughter and that it would basically make his name and extend his reputation far and wide because Delphine was like still fairly like prominent in this community in Creole, Louisiana. And all the other rich people will be like, hey, did you hear about that thing that that guy did? Yeah, so... Take that as how you want to. Louise probably saw Delphine like reputation as like money, power, and influence. Yeah. So um She's like a means to an end, basically. Yeah, and that's just how you job want job security ev- that's kinda. Just how you want every relationship to start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. So at Rich some- wife, happy life. That's <laughs> that's that saying, right? Yeah, that's why you're with me, yeah. obviously. 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 Um, so at some point in the relationship, they got intimate. Oh, they got it on. Intimate. They did a fuck. <laughs> uh Delphine becomes pregnant. Uh oh. Uh oh. And on August thirteenth, eighteen twenty seven, Delphine and Louise welcomed their son into the world. And his name was Jean Louis Lenard La God fucking Jean Louis Lenard Lalaurie Lalaurie yes Lalaurie but my autocorrect changed it to Lori John Louis Leonardo Lori Lori and he Leonardo was... Donatello Michelangelo Raphael Lalori thank you you're welcome um he was a child born out of wedlock ooh what. Yeah. I thought they were married. They were not married yet. Oh, shit, son. He's a bastard. He's a scandal. He's a little bastard boy like me. (laughs) (laughs) Delphine and Louis wouldn't get married until five months after his birth. Oh, damn. Um, Oh, the scandal. That's a a real scandal. In their marriage contract, their son wouldn't, uh, would have the same rights as a child born within a marriage. Okay. He would have. He would. Okay. Um, and the couple made it clear that they wanted him baptized. And the church was like, fuck no. Well, they 
the theory is like why they waited to have him baptized five months later because not having your child baptized when they were born was weird. Yeah. Because you didn't know how long your child was going to survive. Right. Because, you know. You know, high rate of infant death. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Babies did not make it a lot. So they um they waited to baptize so late so that like marriage records and then baptismal records yeah. would show that he was baptized into like married family. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, and they the, just rolled the dice with their child's immortal soul. Yeah. Like, sorry about the purgatory, but <laughs> mom and dad couldn't wait to take the midnight train to Pound Town. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Delphine at this time, at the time of their marriage, Delphine was worth about like one and a half million dollars in today's money. Wow. So not okay. as much as before, but still quite. Like, it's like half, like 0.5 as much as before. It's more than I'll ever see in my entire life. Yes. So unless, uh, yeah. <laughs> have you guys heard about her? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so this is when the house comes in. Oh yes, I've been waiting for the house. So in 1831, Delphine Lallory, Lallory. Bought, <laughs> bought the property at 1140 Royal Street, which she bought in her own name with little involvement from her husband. Yeah, fuck you. Because fuck that guy. Yeah, Leonard. <laughs> Louis. Uh, the original home was two stories with a hip roof. Um and two stories with a hip roof? Yeah. Or a hip roof. Hip like, roof. Damn son, look at that roof. Um, okay, I'm out of here. Okay. A hip roof is just kinda like your standard roof. It's a roof that's got a little Okay, I was joking earlier, but now I really am leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying hip roofs don't lie. Um Um there was an enclosed courtyard behind the residence mm-hmm. where the slaves of the household would go and do their daily chores. Um, there was also a multi-story service wing that extended from the back of the house that would have contained the kitchen and slave quarters to the large, um, yes. Yes. To the slave quarters. Okay. <laughs> there should have been a period there. Um, the large townhome was filled with lavish furniture and expensive pieces of art. And the couple themselves were known for throwing huge parties. And it was pretty clear to everyone that their lifestyle their luxurious lifestyle came from Delphine's money because Louis, Louise, whatever his name is. Louis. Louis. Um, his practice hadn't picked up yet, so he wasn't really bringing any money in. So he's like ba- half of a doctor. Yeah. He's barely a doctor. He's a doctor like Dr. Pepper's a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So on the outside, they had like what appeared to be like a pretty happy marriage. But, but on the inside. Well, by 1932, Delphine had filed for a petition. 1932? Eight, sorry, 1832. I was like, what the fuck? Okay, <laughs> sorry. How old is she? And our next episode will be on vampires again. <laughs> Maybe she was on to something. I don't know. <laughs> She's like bathing in people's blood like homegirl. Oh, yeah. Whose name escapes me at the moment. Elizabeth. Yeah, Mrs. Bathory. Bathory. If you're nasty. If you're nasty. <laughs> um. Delphine filed for petition, saying that her husband had treated her in such an unbearable way that she could not stand to be around him, um, and she wanted like a physical separation from him. Okay. She said that he had made living together unbearable and impossible. Um, she had even cited a specific date of October 26th, where Louise had, um, in the presence of many others, beat and wounded her very badly. Shit. Yeah, but they were often known for fighting and separating and reuniting. Much like an like an on again off again relationship, right? Well, I hear that reunited feels so good. So. <laughs> um. So 
things are not going great for Delphine. Or homeboy whose practice hasn't picked up yet and actually has no real money in this relationship. And is like mooching off of Delphine. Yeah. Yeah. Casual. Real casual. Total Louisiana relationship. Typical. Um, I don't know what that means, but I'm just going to agree. Anyway, the theory that is like wildly suggested for um, why Delphine does what she does. Yes. Um, was that for a woman who had grown up in a culture where slaves were considered property and mm. not human, um, she had an entire house full of punching bags that couldn't fight back. Right. There was a military officer that wrote that white Creole women had manners which were much more polished than those of the men. Um, and they had like one fault was that they were visually cool to their slaves. Um, white women, wives of slave owners were kind and gentle to the slaves that they viewed themselves um, like almost aligned to them because they were both in a position where they had to obey. Okay, but Delphine was not in such a position. We're going to get to Okay. It. Um, they would often, sh- this is just like what that guy was writing. Okay. They would often share secret alliances with them because of their shared sense of feeling less and less than in society. And then I wrote that myth was probably created by a white man. Probably, definitely. Yeah. And there's a couple of books that show that white women beat and harassed, maimed and tortured and killed slave people with as much brutality as white men. White women as slave owners in the American South, not only did women actively participate in buying and selling and trading of human beings, but they were often in charge of the physical punishment um, and they relished this power and ownership in the time when women had very little power I was going to say it was probably worse because they actually had power over something. Yeah. So they had very little power, but they had power over these slaves. Mm-hmm. So this quote unquote Southern Belle could actually be like the most vicious kind of monster. Yeah. When it comes to like their human property, which I don't like saying, but that's what they but were to them. that's what it was. Yeah. Other women in Delphine's family are known for beating their slaves as well. When Delphine's own cousin, Celeste Day McCarty, had whipped a female so bad that she died. Yeah, um, so it's like a whole family of just crazy bitches. Yeah, just basically crazy bitches. Yeah. <laughs> I was like trying to figure out like a ni- like a nicer way to say that, but I can't. I mean, like when you're talking about someone beating another human being to death that they own. It, who, it's hard not fuck to. It, who gives yeah. a shit about being nice? Um. It's not known that if Delphine was abusive her entire life, but it is clear that later in her life, she turned cruel. At some point, something happened Yeah, that really pushed the psycho button. Yeah. Okay. So she's, it, it's cruel. It's what it is. Yeah. The accounts of Delphine's treatment of her slaves between 1831 and 1834 are mixed. Okay. Um, Harriet Martineau, Martineau recounts tales told to her by the New Orleans residents during her 1836 visit claimed that LaLaurie slaves were observed to be singularly haggard and wretched. However, in public appearances, LaLaurie was seen to be generally polite to black people and solicitous of her slaves' health. Court records show that LaLaurie freed two of her slaves um, it was like her shoemaker uh-huh. and somebody else. Okay. I wish I knew more about them, but it's basically like. And like why, you know, like what? Well, 
they freed their shoemaker after like years of service just to kind of show them that like good behavior oh, could you get know you what? rewarded. I bet you too that was like a um But it's probably just like show face. Like a societal thing. Yeah. Right? Like in that society, like, oh look, uh my shoemaker has been so faithful all these years so we're gonna like set them free or whatever yeah and all the other ones are like oh they're so um whatever word they're I'm so looking. kind yeah they're so uh something because they let that person go yeah anyway so martinu wrote that public rumors about lalaurie's treatment of her slave were like they were widespread within the community like a local lawyer was dispatched to the royal street home to remind lalaurie of like the laws and the upkeep her slaves like hey like hey you have chill to, out yeah there are laws yeah we have rules we, delphine we, we have rules ma'am ma'am we have rules um but during that visit the lawyer found no evidence of wrongdoing or mistreatment of the slaves by the lalauris um but still like rumors of delphine's um brutality towards her slaves continued well probably he saw something he's like hey what's up with that and she was like and hey, she's just nothing. like oh uh they tripped do in the courtyard or whatever. They um, so one account that I kept seeing was like the main story. And I'm pretty sure it's featured on American Horror Story. Okay. Um, it's about like this little girl around the age of eight being thrown off a roof. Oh, I don't remember that, but maybe. Oh, maybe not. I did not finish that season, so I'm just not sure. Well, you know what? I feel like here, this is my trend. If I can just very briefly take a side note and talk yeah. about American Horror Story. I feel like a lot of seasons start out really strong <laughs> and then they sort of like shit the bed halfway through and they end like, who gives a fuck how they end? You know yeah, what I mean? I, I'm just saying. Once the Manitar showed up on that season, I was out. I'm still kind of butthurt about uh, the scariest villain of the freak show season, mm -hmm. right? Or like the two scariest entities in that season. They show up like midway and deal with it and then they're gone you know anyway <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry and that was my rant and that was my rant about american horror story so i'm just gonna tell you the story real quick mm -hmm. um so the story goes that it's a little girl named leah or nina depending on the story i read like four accounts okay each one gave a different name whatever she had a name we can but she, we can agree that she did have a girl name did have a name most likely had a name <laughs> she was brushing delphine's hair um, and when she accidentally pulled it, uh, this set Delphine off. She flew into a fit of rage. She started chasing the little girl with a whip. Mm -hmm. uh, the little girl ran until they both appeared on the top of the house where the little girl fell into the courtyard and was buried in a shallow grave by lamplight in the middle of the night. Damn. Yeah. When authorities found out, especially after like allegedly burying her body in the middle of the night to keep it a secret, Lawyers were sent out to the Delphine's home to go over the Code Noir again about what could and could not be done to slaves. Wait, how did the authorities find out about it? I'm going to guess by like neighbors. Okay, I was going to say like the whole point of burying them in the middle of the night by lamplight is so people don't know about it, right? Yes, but if you like know Must how. bright ass lamps. <laughs> well, it's like everyone's on top of each other in New Orleans. Like, yeah. That's how the houses are built. And they're already like sus. Yeah. Hey, Delphine's crazy. Did you hear that thud out back? Let's Did you go. Hear scream, thud, shovel sounds. <laughs> I think something's going on over something's there. Something's happening at the Lalauris. Right. So, according to Martinu, uh, the incident led to an investigation of the Lalauris in which they were found guilty of illegal cruelty and forced 
was forced to forfeit nine slaves. However, these nine slaves were brought back to, by the Lalores through an intermediary relative. Okay, so they took them away. And then someone else. They went back on the auction. Yeah. And then an affiliate of hers bought them back for her. Mm-hmm. Wow. Not great. <laughs> Big ass loophole. Yeah. Um. Similarly, there are stories that Lalauri kept their cook chained to the kitchen stove. Damn. And would beat her when her daughters attempted to free the slaves, or feed them, sorry, to feed the slaves. Delphine didn't learn her lesson, not according to like local stories as She's they like were the told. the same fucking lawyer out again. And over and over and Ms. over. Miss Delphine, how and many times do I have to tell you? <laughs> and it was spring of 1834 when things took a turn for the worse at 1140 Royal Street. Oh shit, is this where, is this, are we about to get a manitar? Where, <laughs> so April 10th, 1834, a fire breaks out at the LaLaurie residence. Oh shit, right. On okay. Royal Street, starting in the kitchen. Interesting, where yeah. allegedly someone has been chained up. Maybe they started the fire. Ooh, next sentence. Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> when the police and fire marshal got there, they found the cook, a 70-year-old woman, chained to a stove by her ankle. She later said that she had set the fire on purpose as a suicide attempt because she feared being punished. Damn. She said that the slaves taken to the uppermost room never came back. Fuck. Okay. Um, as reported in the New Orleans Bee, which is like a newspaper. New Orleans B? Yeah. Like the busy B? Yeah, B-E. Okay. Funny. Um, of April 11th, 1834, bystanders responding to the fire attempted to enter the slave quarters to ensure that everyone had been evacuated, but the little Lowry's had refused the keys, so they didn't, want, they didn't want anybody going in there. So the bystanders, being uphold like upstanding citizens, broke down the door. Obviously. To the slave quarters and found seven slaves more or less uh, horribly mutilated, suspended by the neck with their limbs apparently stretched and torn from one extremity to the other. Jesus fucking Christ. Some claim to have been imprisoned there for like several months. So some of them were still alive? Yes. Were they all still alive? Um, yeah, they were all still alive. Jeez, man. Because a few of them died afterwards. Fuck, okay. Um, one of so those- So they're just being tortured. Basically. Fuck, okay. One of those who had entered the premises was a judge, Jean-Francois, um, having found, like he had to go check out the Lowry Mansion because I think he lived like across the street or something. Yeah. He witnessed a, and I'm, gonna, I'm using quotes here. Okay. A negress wearing an iron collar and an old Negro woman who had received a very deep wound on her head and was too weak to be able to walk. Jean-Francois said that he, when he questioned LaLaurie's husband about the slaves, he was pretty much told to mind his own business. Okay. Um, kind of bold to say to like a judge, but you know. Um, Martineau added that the slaves were emancipated, or emaciated. 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 Um, showed signs of being flayed with a whip and were bound to restrictive postures and wore a spiked iron collar, which kept them from like, so, like, the spikes were facing in. Yes. Okay. It kept them from, like, you know. Resting their resting head. Resting their head. Yeah, so. fuck, man. So, what did the husband say about them? He said that some people had better stay, or 
better stay at home rather than come to others' house to dictate laws and meddle in other people's business. Oh, my God. Is, like, the quote that he actually said. Jesus Christ. Okay. what kind of nonchalant bullshit is that? That's some nonchalant bullshit is what that is, yes. So, this is my favorite part in the story, okay? Okay. Um, When the discovery of the abuse place became wildly known, the citizens of New Orleans were pissed. Mm-hmm. They went after Delphine and Louise, but they had managed to escape. And when nothing could be done to the LaLauries themselves, a mob of local citizens attacked the LaLaurie residents and demolished and destroyed everything upon which they could lay their hands. Okay. They had to call the sheriff and police to disperse the crowd. But by the time that the mob had left the property, it was said to have scarcely anything remaining but the walls. So the bystanders that found out about this, just went fucking ham on this they house. They pretty much demolished this house. Damn, dude. They ripped it apart, like, board by board. Mm-hmm. And, like, these were the same people, I didn't mention this earlier, that were trying to get, like, their valuables out of the house while the fire was burning. Okay. Oh, so they were trying to help get their valuables out because the house on fire. They're good neighbors. Yeah. And then they found out that they're crazy torture people, and they fucking tore the house apart. Yeah. Okay. They're like, fuck these guys. Okay, I like it. Yeah. So this part made me sad. The slaves were taken to a local jail where they were pretty much placed on like public viewing, whether or not that was like supposed to happen or anyway. Um, was, now, was this a way for the pu- like, hey, public, look and see what fucked up shit? No, they, they like taken the, the, for like their safety, took oh. the slaves away and like brought them to the jail because I guess like where else are we going to put them? Yeah, I know, but you, they were put on public display. Well, was that as like evidence to what had happened? I don't happened think to they them? were like supposed to be put on public display, uh-huh. but eventually, like four thousand people had like come to the jail, came to like look at them. You know? Yeah. Okay. Should they have been like protected a little bit more? Yes. Probably. Were yes. they? No. No. But I mean, are we really surprised? But some people, like, yeah, human suffering is like what people go after anyway. Yeah. Right. Like, what is like dark tourism anyway? Or you know, uh, yeah. It's, it's still we like to see people get hurt right like epic fail like videos they, yeah like, <laughs> not that like, it's the same thing i don't thing like at, to see people get hurt but. i'm not saying that that i'm not comparing these two things i'm just making a connection yeah so like people came to see these people that had been like horribly mutilated right and um it was like a sideshow to like just kind of see like like are you serious they did that yeah one like um i think it was the new orleans bee or the a different newspaper said that they um two of the slaves had died since being rescued. Uh-huh. So like it was only a matter of time before they died in the house. Yeah, I mean like you can only take so much, right? Yeah. So there isn't a whole lot known about the Delphine Lowler, or Delphine's life after the fire. Um frankly, I don't really care. Oh yeah, see I was curious what what happened to her. So um it is believed that she traveled to Mobile, Alabama. Okay. Um, and then they left to, for Paris, where they lived in exile. She founded the town of Mobile. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> so she went to Paris yeah, to for, live in exile. To live in exile. Wow, what um, a punishment. John, that's where John was from. So right. I think they like inherited like a, how, like a, a modest-sized So home. John, the doctor who's had a shaky relationship with her, they ran away into exile together. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. That must have been happy for them both. Um, Actually... John leaves her later, and he moves to Havana. Oh. 
So I don't know. Nice. I didn't really care too much to like go into them afterwards. Right. I, like fuck them guys. They're still alive. They were still alive and yeah, I they're like... they're living relatively like you yeah. know punishment free. Punishment free. Now I heard that she was actually cursed by um, uh, Marie Laveau and buried alive behind her house. I don't think this is American Horror Story. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I saw that episode. <laughs> um. So according to um, Delphine's family, she always wanted to return to New Orleans, uh, but there was like a disapproval from her children and like other relatives. Yeah. They're like, uh, maybe, maybe it's a go good back. idea that he don't come back. Yeah, because, maybe you just don't. Yeah. But mom, maybe you don't. So apparently that was enough to change her mind. Um, the circumstances around her death are like relatively unclear, mm -hmm. um, but it is believed that she died in France in a boar hunting accident. Oh, a boar hunting accident, huh? Yes. I've read this book. <laughs> it was it was actually the Dick squire Cheney. who gave him the like strong wine, so he got drunk and Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking about Game of Thrones. I said Dick Cheney, so Oh, Dick Cheney, <laughs> wolf. Um, so she died in a boar hunting accident. Supposedly. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, on December 7th, 1849, at the age of 62. 1849 mm -hmm. at the age of 62 yeah. in a boar hunting accident. Mm -hmm. I think that it was probably an inside job. <laughs> Someone probably hired the boar. <laughs> to be fair, though, you're 62 years old. Hunt. What are you doing hunting boars? Can't imagine that's like safe. You she's know, a boar like, will fuck you up. She's like living in exile. Like, what else is she going to do? She's just like, I don't know. I'm just saying. So, it is believed that she was buried in Paris, but it is also believed that she was exhumed and reburied later. Exhumed and reburied where? Well, I have that answer. Okay. In the late 1930s, Eugene Baxwith, who was served as sexton to the St. Louis Cemetery Number no. 1, uh -huh. he discovered an old cracked copper plate in Alley 4 of the cemetery. The inscription on the plate read, in French, Madame Lalaurie, Born Marie Delphine McCarty died in Paris December 7th, 1842, at the age of 62. Um, and if you ever wish to visit her supposed grave, you can find her in the St. Louis Cemetery, number one, lot three, alley two. Okay, so, all right, cool. That is the same cemetery that Marie Lou. Yeah, Marie so you Lebeau, can see both in one tour. The Voodoo Queen is the, uh, in there. Nicholas Cage's future home will be there. Interesting. We need to go to St. Louis Cemetery. Um, so if you t let me ask you this about the cemetery specifically. Okay. If you oh cool something that I can like actually take a tour of the number one. Mm -hmm. Do you, you, have to have a, do you, you also go to number two? Are they close enough? Like, can you cross the street? Like, um, they're separate cemeteries. Like completely separate. Yeah. Because when we were at uh. What was the one we just went to? Uh, St. Roque. Roque. Um, Roque 1 and Roque 2 were just like, they were across the street from each other. We just walked from one to the other. I think it's like, uh, you have like the first cemetery and then like, it's probably just like St. Roque, like next door. There's but the number two cemetery. But also they're humongous cemeteries. They're, they're big cemeteries and you have to have a tour guide to get in. Uh, to both of them. To, I'm pretty sure to both of them. And... um. Unless you can like prove that your family is buried there. So the chances of one tour encompassing both cemeteries is slim. 
You can look that up on a tourist website. Okay. Anyway, just a just a little side note. <laughs> what else you got? So, uh, the tales of the Lowry abuse and murder of her slaves began circulating in Louisiana, as things tend to do in the South. Um, they were eventually reprinted in a collection of stories by Henry Castaneo and George Washington Cable. Mm-hmm. These stories were based upon the thir- or sorry 1838 account where he added some details and speculations to spice up the story. Um, but I don't think the story needs all that much spicing up. But yeah, eventually the accounts of the LaLaurie slaves became more and more explicit. Um, in the 1940s, author uh, Jean, Jean de Levine, she alleged... Um, that LaLaurie had, and I quote, a sadistic appetite that seemed to never be appeased until she had inflicted um, on one or more of her black servitors uh, some hideous form of torture. Mm. She claimed that those who responded to the 1834 fire had found male slaves stark naked, chained to a wall, their eyes gouged out, and their fingernails pulled off by the roots. Others had their joints skinned and festering, Great holes in their buttocks where flesh had been sliced away and their ears hanging on by shreds and their lips sewn together. Jesus. And their, one had their intestines pulled out and knotted around their naked waist. Uh, there were holes in skulls where a rough stick had been inserted in to stir the brains. However, these claims are not supported by any sources. Um, right. And also a lot of them were alive when they found them, right? They were alive when they found them, but this is just like how these ghost stories happen. Right. Or like one person comes up with this account, somebody makes it grosser. Somebody else makes it like, it's just like a telephone. It becomes more and more explicit about like what happened. Yeah. So, and just to add to this, in 1998, Kalila Katharina Smith, who is the author of Journey into Darkness, Ghosts and Vampire Stories of New Orleans, who is or was um, an operator of a New Orleans ghost tour business, added several more explicit details to the discoveries allegedly made during the fire. Okay. Um, Including a victim who had previously had her arms amputated and her skin peeled off in a circular pattern, making her look like a human caterpillar. Okay, so probably they played it up for their tour. Yeah. Mm. Um, another who had their limbs broken and reset at odd angles to resemble a human crab. Okay. Um, many of the new details in Smith's books were unsourced. Right. So while others were not supported by the, while others are also not supported by sources given, many retellings of the stories are often used during these ghost tours. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because gore sells and when you're trying to sell a haunted ghost tour the scarier the better right of course so okay i would consider delphine lallery and what like in recent media and by recent media i mean she is portrayed by kathy bates in american horror story coven um which is where i feel like most people might know yeah delphine lallery i'm pretty sure you didn't know she was a real person um you know what? I don't think so. Like, if I did at some point, it had slipped Taste, my mind. Yeah. yeah. Um. Also, okay, so. Mostly because, like you said, my only exposure to her was Kathy Bates in American Horror Story. Yeah. And she was like an immortal lady. Who, right. Which is who not a thing that happens. Came from the dead and was like fighting with 
Marie Laveau. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, Lowry Story served as inspo for the Briarwoods in the first campaign of Critical Role. Really? Which is a thing I know you like. Okay. First of all, you told me that it was a small connection. Is it not a small connection? It's a huge fucking connection. Oh. The Briarwoods are fucking everything. And they're the main bad guys in my favorite fucking arc of that campaign. Okay, well, maybe it's a big thing. So, wow. What a, that was a, that's a big thing. <laughs> so her story serves uh, as inspo for that. I'm very, that's fucking exciting. I yeah. Had, I wondered if maybe, remember the other day I said, I think I know. My, my connection, connection to the thing that you like. I thought I was thinking about the Briarwoods. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh. Sorry. I'm really, I love, I love the. Just to end that on like a little, like a little happy note for you. I, I, I could love. feel you getting kind of like a little down and what do you mean no, like just like wow that's not happy at all yeah it's a lot wow you know what though i don't even have words it's, it's I just, good I, that's my favorite part of that campaign are the Briarwoods. so okay like that whole art anyway okay i'm glad i'm glad i'm glad now we're gonna get into the ghost the ghost yes. oh there's more oh yes i'm not done yet okay <laughs> i'm sorry y'all it's a long one <laughs> Right. It's not enough to make it two episodes. I'm sorry. Okay. Um. So, like I said, the mansion that sits on 1140 Royal Street that we refer to as the Lowry Mansion is not the same building, obviously, that Marie Delphine Le Lowry occupied. After the fire and the mob, there's actually very little building left. Okay. Which, like, we went over. Um, and it was left in that decrepit state for, like, four years. In 1838, it was rebuilt, and that is the building that you see today. Okay, but was it rebuilt like on the same frame? Like, was it built to appear similar to the old house? Roughly. <clears throat> or was it just a brand new building built in the same spot? Mm, I don't have that information. Okay. I'm gonna assume it was it was built in the same spot. I assume some kind of like some of the bones are the same anyway. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. At the very least, the floor. Um. So. Tales of the haunting didn't just begin like in relatively recent years. Mm -hmm. um, it was like literally shortly after the fire. Like as soon as the fire was put out, people began reporting that they, like when you would walk by, you would hear the tortured screens coming from inside the uh, the abandoned building Ooh. or rather what was left of it. Eventually, it was rebuilt into the building that we see today. But there are rumors that anyone who tries to live there or run a business out of it is met with like extremely bad luck. Okay. Um, the first owner of the LaLaurie Mansion, who LaLaurie, who fixed up the place, rented it out to a boys' school, and then it shut down after a couple of years. A boys' school. A boys' school. Okay. Um, until he was able to sell it to a music teacher, but even she was trying to get rid of it after five years. Okay. She ends up selling it to a tobacco merchant who wanted to use it for his business, but he ended up using it, the building, for collateral for three separate loans, and mm. then he defaulted on those loans. So then the bank got the house. Yeah, and one of the people he owed money to got it for like six grand or something. Oh, shit, okay. Which is like insane for yeah. a building. Um, after that, it was used as like a public schoolhouse for a few years. In 1878, the New Orleans Conservatory of Music moved in, and things were going okay for the most part until they planned like a concert mm -hmm. and things started to go bad. Okay. Somebody spread like a, like a, I don't know what the rumor was, but it was like a harsh rumor. Um, and it caused everybody who was going to play to back out. And uh. it ended up being like a huge loss 
So it seems to me like it's less bad luck and more the reputation. Yeah. Um, a New Orleans newspaper reported that the house was haunted and that's why it was constantly changing hands. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, the owner of the building would just start renting it out to anyone. Please, someone. <laughs> Somebody. Do you remember when we were walking in New Orleans and we passed the advertisement for the room for rent and it yeah. said not haunted? Yeah. You'll see that a lot in New Orleans. Yeah. It'll be like haunted, not haunted. Now, do you think you get rooms cheaper that are haunted? Maybe not. I'm just curious. I think they would be more expensive. Really? Yeah. Because you got a roommate? Yeah. <laughs> Who's not paying the rent. Right. <laughs> Eventually, it was sold to an Italian immigrant named Fortunato Greco. Greco capitalized on the fact that people thought it was haunted by posting a sign that said there were no ghosts and he would charge people to come in and see for themselves. Um, That was actually like a really smart move on Greco's part Mm -hmm. because it actually made him a lot of money. Greco. Greco. Uh, Is it G-R-E-C-O? It is. Like the wrestling. Just like the wrestling. Greco-Roman wrestling. Oh, yeah, totally. Anyway. Um, So... In 1895, Greco turns the bottom floor of the mansion into a bar that he called the Haunted Exchange. Oh. Uh, there are no Google reviews. I'm sorry. It's not a bar anymore, right? No, it's not. I didn't think so. Because it's a building. It's a home now. It's a home. Someone lives, actually lives there? Yeah. Okay. Um. So Greco rents out the top of the floor, mm-hmm. turns them into like apartment buildings, and some Italian immigrants moved in, and they... Like, wrecked the place, pretty much. They painted everything red. They smashed the chandeliers. They, they painted red, the town red. Well, they painted the mahogany staircase red. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, they smashed the fireplace, and they pretty much, like, destroyed the courtyard. Why? That's what drunk, drunk people do. do. Yeah. <laughs> um. But it wasn't long before that that the tenants would tell their landlord that they were being tormented by spirits, and the bartender that ran the haunted exchange said he had even seen ghosts as well. Because of course, um, they tormented me into painting the mahogany staircase red. Yeah, gross. So, um, a cute little side story: children who lived in the house would play pranks on tourists. Mm-hmm. Um, one child, <laughs> <laughs> as what like kids in New Orleans yeah, do. Awesome. Um, one child would put a sheet over their head, like little ghost children. Um, stand in one of the upper like level windows while the other sibling would go to grab a tourist as they passed, ask for like a nickel or something, um, and tell them that they'll show them a ghost. And they would bring them into the courtyard and there there would be like a little kid up there dressed as a ghost. <laughs> That's cute though, isn't That's it? That's funny, yeah. But the tourist was like, you little shit. <laughs> grab him by the neck. Um, so maybe you can tell that it goes through a lot of hands. Yes. Um, and nobody wanted to keep this place for too long. Um, in 1969, it was sold to a radiologist named Dr. Harry Albright. He paid 20. Mm-hmm. It's a radiologist named Albright. <laughs> That's hilarious. Anyway. He paid um, $230,000, which is not a bad price for some prime real estate in the French Quarter. Uh, he spent his time renovating the home, making it all pretty, and then he tries to sell it for $1.9 million. That didn't work out for him. He sat on the house until 2000. Damn. Yeah. So from when till 2000? 1969 to 2000. Okay. And how much did he sell it for? Uh, $1.7 million. Oh, not bad. Not bad, but then like he kept it for 30 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy didn't stay there full time. It was more of like a a summer home. Okay. Must be nice. Yeah, must be nice. $1.7 million (laughs) for a summer home. I know. So... um. 
he his bad luck happened like when he like tried to sell the house. Mm-hmm. So the story goes that the evening of the Sugar Bowl, or it's the evening of the Sugar Bowl. Okay. The French Quarter is full of tourists, as it normally is. Um, he was leaving a restaurant and he tossed a mint onto the table of some Dallas natives. Uh, they took that as an insult and attacked the doctor. Why would they take that as an insult? Drunk people. Okay. Sports people. Sports drunk. Drunk people. sports people. Sports drunk people. Uh, the doctor fell down, hit his head so hard that he like was in a coma for like three weeks. Shit. Yeah. Um, and then he suffered like permanent brain damage. Damn. Anyway, so in 2007, Nicolas Cage bought the house. Okay, Nick, while he was making his movie, Bad Lieutenant. <laughs> um, he bought the house figuring it would be a good place to write an, a great American horror novel. Oh, okay, Nick. Uh, yeah. Uh, did he, he finish the book? He did not finish oh, okay. the book. I, like, <laughs> I need to read Nick Cage's horror novel. Uh, one ghost tour website said that he managed his money about as well as he managed his acting career. Which is to say awesome. Because uh, <laughs> he's in a lot of stuff, right? Well, he lost the house due to bankruptcy along with his career. Oof. Uh, the New Orleans whispered the New Orleans whispered that it must be the curse of the Lowry house that caused his downward spiral. Right. Must be. Well, it's like the only thing that the government didn't take from Nicolas Cage was his like pyramid. Is that why he's in so many movies? Because he was broke and he just did everything? Maybe. Because like, I feel like that's part of what makes him him. I think that was like his in, taxes. Like, every movie. Yeah, like his, he, he like didn't pay taxes or something. A lot, of, a lot of that going on in the acting world. These days, yeah. You know? <laughs> that happened to somebody else recently, didn't it? Wesley Snipes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm rich. I don't have to pay taxes. Pretty much. So currently, the... The Lowry Mansion is privately owned by an oil tycoon from Texas. An oil tycoon from Texas. Um, he has made it quite clear that since moving into the home in 2013, he doesn't plan to allow anyone like of the public inside. Right. Um, and if you happen upon the home and they're on the balcony and they see a group, like a tour group coming, they will gather the things and go inside. Okay. So they're not about it. I guess. Like you... Do you think that going inside are going to keep people from looking at your house? Or they don't want them taking pictures of them? They don't want anyone like bothering them. I got you. Like asking questions about the the Lowry Mansion. I guess so. Okay. But I mean like you bought it. I mean it's fair enough. Like Like, fair. It's your home. Fuck off. But like you bought like this piece of history like where something like terrible happened. Yeah. I mean you can't really buy a, a, a historical place and then be like bothered by the fact that people are into like historical places you know what i mean yeah well i i'm pretty sure it's considered like a historical home like there's a plaque on the building yeah. i don't know what it it's says like, oh i uh i bought this place that people are interested in and now all these people are interested in it <laughs> you know yeah no that's all i have i didn't know if you wanted more i hope i uh did the story justice no it was good i hope you learned a lot yeah i feel good about it good history I actually knew some of the stuff you were talking about before you talked about it. Yeah, that's so cool. That was fun. And you could help me speak words correctly. Again, I'm just really excited about the critical role connection. I, you you perked up a lot after that. I love the I could Briar feel Woods, you like getting man. down. I was like, let me throw that in real quick. Let me just tell you this though. If I if someone was like, Hey, um, I wanna start watching Critical Role, but I don't know where to start, I would typically tell them to start on the Briarwoods. Oh, okay. Uh, Because that's just when the show gets a lot better. (laughs) 
<laughs> and if they were like, hey, I don't want to watch the whole thing. I just want to see like a piece of it. What's the best part of it? I would tell them to watch the Briarwoods. Okay. Well, I'm oh. glad I could. Uh, I love the Briarwoods. Put that in there for you. Well, that was nice. Exciting. I, I saw that and I was like, I got to tell him. Like, he'll like that. I got to tell him. I, I even had a moment, like I said, where I was like, I wonder if it's the Briarwoods, if that's the connection. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. Good so, episode. I felt good about it. Good history. Good content. Sorry good banter. that it was so long. It's like <laughs> I'm just over here like don't make a dick joke. And then I saw it in your eyes. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, um thanks for listening. We once again didn't do our thing at the beginning that we were talking about. Yeah, we're bad podcasters. No, it's okay. We can do it at the end when people have stopped listening. <laughs> just kidding. Um yeah, so you can find all our episodes obviously always on our website www.ouroddpodpodcast.com. We have a link tree now. It's linktr.ee slash OOPP. You can find the links to, between those two places, you can find a link to all of our stuff. Yeah. Pretty much. I post it on Facebook. Uh, we have our Facebook group. You should join us. Um, it's, what's it? Our Odd Pod on our, Facebook. Uh, yeah. Which there's a link to. Wow. Wow, I know. Uh, we're starting to post bonus content on Patreon now. Uh, you can find us at patreon.com slash our odd Patreon. We have just uploaded a bunch of bonus stuff, a bonus mini-sode and a bunch of like, um, kind of like pre-show things that we do before we start recording to kind of loosen up and test the mics out. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I think that's it. Oh, you can... If you visit DarrenCurtisMusic.com, that's where our intro and outro music comes from. He has a collection of amazing music for free, and I think that's all I got. Sounds good. You got anything to add? Nope, I was just Snapchatting. <laughs> okay, well, as always, we, we are, are the, the Boneses, Boneses and, and we, we are out. out.